and welcome to another installment of the Evolution Exchange Gaming Podcast, where we connect industry leaders to discuss experiences, challenges, and successes in the gaming industry. I'm Adam, your host for today, and I'm joined by Christopher, Anne, Peter, and Alexandra to discuss Death of a Thousand Cuts, storytelling in gaming. But before we jump into that topic, let's work our way around the room with some introductions of who you are and what you do. So, Christopher, do you want to kick us off? Sure thing. So, yeah, Chris Amgard, my name. I've uh, been working in this industry for nigh on 18 years now. And uh, started out as an employee with Massive and Malma, and then went on to DICE in Stockholm. And then I've been freelancing for the last six years, um, mainly as a writer and narrative director. And those were also the positions that I held when I was an employee. Uh, done a little bit of comic books and TV on the side. Wish I could do more, but uh, the money is in gaming. So <laughs> that's where I've ended up primarily. Nice. And uh, Anne? Yeah, hi, uh, Ann Bullock. I am the lead writer for um, Star Stable Online. Um, I have uh, been in the gaming industry a big two years, but I've been writing for different audiences for closer to 20. So <laughs> I've got quite a bit of um, writing experience under my belt. And this is the most fun I've had writing um Certainly. So thanks for having me. Uh, no worries. Uh, Alexandra? Uh, yeah, my name is Alexandra Dahlberg, uh, and I work at a company called Thunderful, which is based in Gothenburg, Sweden. And I work as a narrative director, and that can, of course, mean a thousand different things at different companies. But what I do is that I'm the, the lead slash co-writer uh, of the script I'm working on currently. I also handle casting, uh, voice direction, and uh, yeah, just being the the link uh, to the other disciplines on anything narrative. Awesome. And uh, last but not least, Peter. Yeah, hi. My name is uh, Peter Gornstein, and I have worked in various positions spanning from uh, storyboard artist, concept artist, art director, narrative director, and currently uh, focusing on cinematic direction. I started at Skellington Productions and worked later at Imageworks and then had a stay at Massive and a couple of stays at IO Interactive. And I'm currently working at Shark Mob. Nice, a bit of a journey there. Hi everyone, this is Chris Bennett here, the Nordic's Managing Director here at Evolution. We're committed to doing recruitment in a different way that adds value to both our clients and candidates by providing you with amazing speakers and leading edge discussions on what's going on in the tech scene at the moment. There are three reasons why you should contact me. If you would like to speak on a future podcast, if you are interested in hiring awesome tech data product or gaming freelancers for your business, or if you are looking for an exciting new organization to work with, please get in touch. Thank you so much for listening, and I really hope to hear from you soon. Please enjoy the rest of the podcast. Yeah. Uh, but as always, you've each brought a question or a discussion point relevant to storytelling and gaming, Death of a Thousand Cuts. But uh, as usual, we'll work our way around the room with each of you posing your question or discussion point, your reasoning behind it, and then we'll have a bit of a, an open floor for it. So uh, let's go back to uh, to Christopher. Uh, what's your question and what do you mean by that? Uh, sure. So yeah, my question was uh, what strategies you guys would employ or do employ uh, to sort of 
make room for the inevitable cuts, inevitable cut that usually happens uh, during production. Uh, and all the games I've worked on, I think something significant has been cut along the way. And usually long after you've sort of solidified the storyline. So it's not necessarily easy to adapt things. Um, and over the course of, of many years, <laughs> I've also developed a few ways to sort of try and mitigate the effect that has when it, when it happens and how I can work around it in an, I guess, easier way. So, so that, that's my question. Any takers, or should I go first? <laughs> <laughs> is, it, is it open for, do you want to share your thoughts first? Or should, I can share there? my thoughts first, sure. Uh, so one of the things that I've been uh, trying to do uh, more and more is to make my, whenever I plot something early on, I try to make it as location agnostic as uh, possible. So to not tie the story points too closely to things that might be cut due to uh, resource, like resources, like levels or, 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 or something like that. And I've found that being able to just move a significant plot point to somewhere else that we do have in the game uh, has helped whenever those <laughs> level cuts, for example, happens later on. So that's an example of, of one thing that I employ uh, or try to employ whenever I can to, to mitigate the risk. I can yeah. just say that I'm very interested in hearing all the answers because this is something I definitely uh, ended up with uh, in uh, my last project, uh, my last big project, uh, Wave Tale, where we basically had written the whole story, all the dialogue. Suddenly we realized a change was needed in the level design, which made a huge chunk of the script, almost half of it, uh, useless because it, it affected the gameplay so much and so much of the, of the writing was uh, connected to. Uh, to what was happening in the gameplay. Um, so that was a uh, uh, big work, and it was the first time I experienced something like that, uh, that of that magnitude. Um, so I just, yeah, I think that's a really, really good advice there that also just think about overall how connected it is. Because it's a tricky, right? Because that's also what you want to do to tell a really good story. You want the story to be connected to the gameplay, to the course, environment course. and everything. But like, see where it's actually needed, and have that uh, that that in mind. Where is it most impo important, and where can I sort of keep it a little bit looser? I think that mm -hmm. could have helped us a lot on that project for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think a, a good example also is, is uh, looking looking at Battlefield Four and Battlefield One that came after. Uh, Battlefield Four had to do a significant cut very late in production, which really made the story suffer uh, in terms of uh, things were not quite as connected as they should have been due to that. And then for Battlefield 1, they switched to a, an episodic format, which is also a way to do it, I guess. But that, of course, precludes some way, some stories you could tell. But by doing it episodically, they could just cut an old episode, and, and then that's fine, and then just focus on the other things. So um, that's another approach. But of course, again, it, it comes with limitations, too. Absolutely. Uh, I've got to say, I did love the, uh, the episodic structure in Battlefield 1. I was a big fan. Oh of yeah, it <laughs> was funny. I, I was amazingly well received, uh, and and uh, I mean, I, I as a player, I enjoy long stories, right? And everything is interconnected and, and you know evolves. So I was I was hesitant about that choice at first, uh, but uh, but yeah, it really came up as a success, which is super nice yeah. to see. And ironically, it kind of helped with the overall story that uh, there were so many micro stories in the war. Uh, yes, as well. Yes. But were you going to say something there, Alexandra? Sorry. <laughs> I just sort of open my mouth like a fish. Like, oh, oh. <laughs> no, I was just thinking another thing that I, I try to do as much as possible is to 
work very clearly in iterations, uh, starting with something that internally we call Marcus Vision. So hi, Marcus, if you're listening. Uh, we started with one of the directors at the company uh, requesting that each line was written with the character's clear intent, like no secrets, just clear, this is what I'm thinking right now, no secrets, just very like, I'm thinking about how jealous I am of you for doing this thing. Uh, now I want to say this, and that's like the first iteration of the dialogue, just to get a very early version in where the so that the developers, the designers, whoever is wish, working with the level can understand sort of what's about to happen, even when the script doesn't uh, doesn't exist, and then just with every iteration building on that and making it more uh, in the style that we want. Maybe at this point you're still ex- exploring with the tone of the game, uh, so it also relieves a lot of the pressure to not have to have that set before starting the process because so many things with the gameplay and the combat can affect like the vibe you want to go for when you start exploring it more so i think that's been something i've tried to do more and more working very clear steps on how deep i go into the dialogue and the tone because uh, that also makes it easier to change it because you're not as attached to this certain vibe of a scene it's just that this happens and i know that but of course it becomes more more tricky the further into the 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 development you get because you can't keep it at that stage for forever but it's just it's like if something changes in the early stages that makes it a bit more easier to also be not as emotionally attached to a scene sure sure so if i understand it correctly you, you start out by writing sort of the intent behind the scene exactly or behind whatever everybody says okay cool cool that's interesting not always that we manage to do it but that's uh it's definitely i i've, I've gotten better at it and i think that it's uh, it's been helpful in saving time and uh, pushing the polish into a phase where we're more settled in how the scene is actually going to look. Yeah, one thing we've been doing on, on the project we're working on lately is, is to have a sort of narrative uh, like must-haves for any given mission or level. We go through like, this needs to be conveyed to the player. So having played this mission, the player needs to understand this and that, which is a little bit of, I guess, what you're talking about as well. And then, uh, then this is way before the level is even mapped out. We know there's going to be a mission in a certain building, for example, we don't know anything about the building, but we know that coming away from it, a player needs to know that the bad guy had this plan or whatever. Um, and, and that has also, I think, helped it being more flexible. And we can wait a while with detailing the whole thing until we know for sure what will go into the game or not. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting and very interesting to hear um, your different approaches. I always say, um, uh, uh, Map out what the objective and the obstacles are, and then add the poetry later. So you know, yeah. if there's room <laughs> for it, um, so just make sure that you have you have you have time and space for that. And then if there's more time and space, map that out. And, and when I approach um, huts, I mean, of course, it depends on what kind of game it is. Is it open world? Is it you know branching storyline, or is it is it um, sort of more pre-rendered? Uh, uh, if it's pre-rendered, you're kind of I. Isolated or insulated a little bit from cuts. I mean, obviously you can scope down the story, but but my general roots, especially if we're doing pre pre rendered uh, cinematics, is that I will try to detach it from the gameplay so the story can stand on its own two legs. So let's say they they take out gameplay elements, then it doesn't affect the story. But but uh, of course you don't have that luxury in, in in certain types of games, and then you gotta you know I think your approach is very valid in terms of uh, uh, always being. Uh, able to switch locations, for instance, or something like that. I think that's a really good strategy. Oh, I, I, it's funny, I'm, I'm doing exactly that as well for cinematics that are pre-rendered, uh, trying to detach them from the game to some extent. Mm-hmm. So soon you try to make those very close connections and, and uh, 
uh, crossovers. They can be great to look at, but super tricky to, to get yeah. done. But sorry, yeah. Anne, you were about to, to say something. Oh, um, actually, we just <laughs> – so we have a little bit different um, setup with it being like a weekly release uh, live game. And um, uh, so our projects, we have seasonal um, events and one linear story that's always ongoing, but, you know, we only release segments uh several times a year and so um i you know i always have to be very clear about uh making small bites um inside a larger chain so that we know okay if this is getting a little complicated what's the burn list you know what can i pull out where can i fit the story if something if some gameplay can't be uh implemented you know if somebody's out, if somebody's sick, if we didn't plan correctly. Um, and so something that we did try and it worked out okay uh, was something called Story Snacks. Um, there was a lot of lore, a lot of like chitter chatter that had to, like we just had to dump it, uh, some lore. And so we, like with our weekly releases, we just uh, kind of did the same um, scene uh, several times just changed it a tiny bit and had one of the characters like tell tell the other characters some some of the lore that was going to be needed and it wasn't the only thing released over the weeks but um, it it was just a little something extra but uh, so that was a way to be able to release some content that would have otherwise had to be cut or it would have been just way too much dialogue during one um uh, quest release and and now we've used it a couple of times to to kind of keep a story alive for a while um in between releases of the linear um stories so so that's that's one way that we've found that Uh, It it can be a little frustrating to the players. They're like, God, it only took me five seconds. But, you know, it was a good way to like, hey, you weren't going to read it if we put it, you know, in that one big long quest. But now you've read it. (laughs) Nice. That's a really, really good point there. I've got to say, uh, in terms of the uh, separating the story or plot from location, I imagine, Peter, that wasn't really an option with uh, James and the Giant Peach. Uh, no, I mean obviously when you're when you're doing movies that you you don't really cut, I mean you know rip out pages of the script and go ah screw that no, yeah. on with it be gone um, no you're you're stuck with what you have but but that's that's the beauty and the curse of of linear uh, story writing right I mean you what you see is what you get so to speak what's on the page is going to be on the stage um, it's a little bit different when we're working with gaming right because it's it's such a circular production form where linear filmmaking or linear storytelling in games is is sort of a well-known entity that we've known about for plus hundred years, whereas gaming is barely a you know barely an adult yet, right? <laughs> it's, yeah. and but you we never have... know with the cuts, though. I, I, I'm I'm also I'm, I'm releasing a a, a book uh, this this spring. This is my first book story instead of game story, and the first thing that happened when I got to the first meeting with the publisher was like, "Don't be mad." I have an idea, <laughs> and it was a it was a story with two point of views, and she was holding two pieces, uh, of, uh, two, two chunks of papers. I'm like, 
I read them side by side as separate books, and I think we can drop this character from the point of view and rewrite everything in this character point of view. Uh So there was like an extra few months there just tying it together, but it it ended up being much better. She was right. But uh, yeah, you're never never free from the cuts. (laughs) But it's certainly easier when it's a a, a book or a a movie that isn't like in production in these different areas all at the same time. Uh, yeah, absolutely. No, sorry, you have a good point, Peter. That if, like movies and and uh, TV and comics also start with the script. Like the script comes first, and, and there are yeah. games. You know, I, I'm guessing uh, Druckmann's stuff on you know Last of Us and so on. They also start out as scripts primarily, but but for the most part, game play comes first. Right? You know, and and that. So script always comes later, <laughs> at least in my experience. And, and I think yeah, that's, that's also been my experience too. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I think we're now, we're now going into the age where um, games are becoming films uh, as well. So it's called full circle uh, as well. <laughs> True. <laughs> uh, just before we, uh, we kind of move on to, to the next point, is there any particular um, game movie that anyone's particularly enjoyed? Uh I know there was a Super Mario uh, movie in the 80s, which is questionable. <laughs> well, that kind of game movie. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I enjoyed the latest Dungeons & Dragons film, but it's, you know, that's arguably based on a pen and paper RPG, right? So I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, that, I, I heard that, that was, one's really good. It was fun. It was, fun. Yeah. It was funny. Yeah, I think uh, for people listening at home, this was recorded on Halloween. I'm going to see Five Nights at Freddy's after this uh, <laughs> oh. as well. <laughs> I will report back. <laughs> so we'll see how that goes. Um, but is there any additional points anyone wants to make on uh, on Chris's point or question? Anything at all? No. All right, then. Well, I guess that uh, we'll move over to to Yuan. Do you, do you mind giving us your question and your reasoning behind it? Ah, uh, yes. So uh, I wanted to talk about um, basically the trials and tribulations of working on a very old IP. <laughs> so, um, Star Stable Online just celebrated 12th, uh, birthday, but, uh, the IP is actually more like 20 years old because we had a Starshine Legacy, I think it was called. Um, and so not only was the original material written by some gay, um, a long time ago who, clearly had some interests that um, uh, I don't think it was super clear whether um, um, he was most inspired by anime, science fiction, or um, maybe fantasy. It's like kind of all jumbled up. I don't, I don't know that uh, he was particularly a writer or a trained writer, I think he just was interested in this, you know, putting this fun story together and, and it is fun, but unraveling it um, now is sometimes challenging, but it, or, or actually putting it back together. But um, more than that is the fact that, oh gosh, maybe 30 or more voices have contributed to it over the years and it's not just writers it's you know any artist that's contributed um uh, a horse or uh, or a character or um you know any any gameplay that 
contributes to story. Um, any any quirky little just side note, um, or someone who comes in and and starts a story, uh, you know, and, and puts a thread out there, and then maybe leaves, and so we've got these all these things, and um, and a very passionate player base that maybe started when they were between eight and 10 and now they're between 18 and 20 and come back and play once in a while for some nostalgic reason. And they expect that story to still be there and the same. And then we have, you know, newer kids coming on who expect a more modern, you know, kind of um, story. And when I came uh, on board a couple of years ago, um, I felt pretty strongly like the characters needed a little more development still. Um, and, uh, uh, and the, there needed to be a little bit more logic to some of the story and that, uh, some of the scenes from the past weren't really appropriate. And, um, some of the attempts to add some diversity um, were well-intentioned, but were not well-researched, uh, well or they weren't done um, with enough uh, um, input from experts. Um, so there were some missteps uh, and we're still trying to kind of fix this stuff. And this whole linear story is not even halfway out yet. Um, so I think there, there is so much opportunity to play with this and there's one other writer. Um, but a lot of the designers, you know, like to write. And that's one of the things that I find the most joyful is supporting these, um, young, writers um but um yeah it's a it's a like walking a, a tightrope um coming in and feeling very confident as a writer and editor making changes and uh uh breathing some new life into um some of the story but also knowing okay, I do have to remember that there are people who contributed in a very um, passionate, loving, uh, creative way. And there, there's a lot of nostalgia um, and all of that that has to be kept in mind, but not, I can't let that stop us. So I was wondering um, how you, my friends, you know, <laughs> handle that sort of thing? Do you have uh, advice? Do you, do you, you know, work with any of that sort of stuff? I've actually been, uh, we have one bigger IP at my company, which is uh, called SteamWorld. So there's a bunch of them, SteamWorld Dig, SteamWorld Heist. They're all in different genres, so, but easily more easily accessible than the genres uh, generally are. So it's fun. Uh, and I got the opportunity to be part of one of those. And that was 
uh, it was a tricky one because there were no big lore collection to refer back to. Uh, no one hadn't really done a structured layout. The, the best one was actually fan-made. It's like a Vicky mm-hmm. online made by fans. Uh, yes, we uh, have. <laughs> I'm sure you have an even more thorough yeah. one. <laughs> um, and um, it, was, it was an interesting case because, as I mentioned, we're a mixture of different companies. Uh, the two main ones were Zoink and Image of Form. And Image of Form are the developers of the SteamWorld universe. And for them, I think it was definitely a, a sensitive ride to give their IP to other developers coming from other companies because they're a really tight-knitted studio who had done these games for a long while. Um, so it sort of had to be handled with care and respect for all of that work when, uh, like, right now our new Call Sam studio is uh, releasing a SteamWorld build uh, later on. I don't remember when the date is. Um so it's been, I know now that it's been like two years or so, uh, they're actually starting to, to create this, this big, uh, lore collection or an internal wiki to make sure that everyone has all the info, has all the things. And I think that's like a very good, that's been a good start for us. Cause when I was working on this, we, we sort of winged it. <laughs> and then yeah. I gave it to the writers of the previous game. And so like, tell me what's wrong. <laughs> Tell me what's not not aligning with the previous games, because even if I play them, there's so many nuances that some players who are really big fans have read into it and extra material, and they have seen all these old videos of the the companies that the company's old uh, community manager made. It was really good and a lot of extra info, so they know so much more than me, which <laughs> felt silly trying to write in this world and all the player play it will know like have double the info even if I try to cram it in in a short time compared to their ten years of playing. So I definitely see your your your, your struggles there, uh, but I think the the most important thing for me that this is after I I. I left that project behind but i think just having this collection of the lore that you can easily refer to is definitely something that has helped that helps the current team working on the ip just make sure that everything connects uh, and that also helps keep the fans happy as soon as things kind of connects it's probably yeah. it's usually kind of okay but it's of course trickier with as you say with outdated uh things especially when it comes to representation and things like that and uh, that usually leaves a lot of hard decisions to be make uh, to be made for sure. Yeah, yeah, we uh, have um, updated an IP bible for internal consumption, and and that it is um, is helpful. Um, and I think <laughs> the older IP bible that's in print form. It would just blow your mind, and I don't think any of it will <laughs> even ever make it into the game. So, <laughs> but it it's fun to look at. Uh, but yeah, yeah. Thank you. I'm curious. You, you, you said this, the story is is uh, halfway through. Has it been planned? Was that planned out long ago? Like the main storyline, or? Yeah, well, yes. Um, there's a uh, an enemy we have to defeat, and. Okay. Um, we still haven't defeated him, but we're, um, uh, that's been sort of my mission since coming on is like, we're going to get there because uh, until we get there, we can't really make a playground atmosphere. Uh, sure. and we need to do that. You know, we can't have these 
main characters trapped in situations, you know, where it's like, wait, can we use Lisa? No, she's uh, trapped in a tree, you know. Oh. <laughs> so, yeah, some players can't, but they, she's still trapped. So yeah, yeah. we can't have her at this festival, you know, like, no, no, we need to get this over with. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Have you made any, I'm just curious, have you made any cuts? Have, have you deleted any of the previous lore and like officially said, taking it out of canon space? Uh, <clears throat> that's kind of, uh, yes, yeah, definitely. Um, and it's it's a work in progress now. At least um, we have started some meetings with some of the uh, directors uh, and what we want to just say we're not ever going to bring this out so it's uh it's good it's good so oh it's uh, spooky i know it's the lights have gone off in my the back and that's super bright okay <laughs> uh, but christopher or uh, peter either of you i had to deal with some uh old or outdated material uh, I mean, yes and no i guess uh i've worked on i mean both Mirror's Edge and, and then Star Wars were IPs that were established way before I came on board, uh, with, of course, them being quite different in terms of size. And- yeah, I mean, I, I, my, my question was, what's the importance of, of narrative from a, a director's standpoint? And what I really was kind of curious to you three are all uh, senior narrative directors and how you're, you approach working with cinematics and cinematic directors and, and how you approach your, your approach to sort of visualizing your scenes. Uh, you know the ob- the technical obstacles that that you know eventually a, a cinematic team will have to face, and I'm just I'm just curious to to your thought process with that. Hmm. It's a tough one, <laughs> <laughs> or maybe not. I don't know. Well, I guess for for me, it's very much still uh, a work in progress. Uh, learning all these things, I started as I said in in marketing, and also I've been writing mainly uh, through through life. I've been writing uh, fiction just letters on a page and anything can happen and it's uh, nothing costs anything can make as big as explosions as you want no problem um, so it's definitely been been something that I had to learn on the job um, listening to colleagues uh, taking it seriously when people say no mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and a lot of things it's been so such uh, simple things that I, I thought were so easy to do in uh, in an animation that turns out was really tricky just sitting with your arms crossed okay apparently that's really uh, complicated <laughs> I had no idea I have to think about how can people move in other ways uh, thinking in camera is not something uh, I had any experience in either because uh, I always just seen things happen in my head in any way mm-hmm. that that work uh, so I think this is something I'm still like researching and uh, taking a lot of feedback I'm glad that we have we have a bunch of great comic artists at the studio and they have a really good eye for for this kind of things of course being used to working in the visual space and with framing um so i'm really curious to hear hear uh, the thoughts that the rest of you have because the project i'm on right now is like the biggest one to date for me and we're working way more with the bigger cinematics and uh, for the first time using motion capture and this sort of thing so yeah i'm uh over wow. to the rest of you. I'm eager to, to learn. Money. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> well, we don't have that, 
motion capture or anything. I'm, I'm super jealous. Um, now, um, there's a whole lot of me going, I think the witch would move her hands like this. And, <laughs> and then the animator saying, aha, okay, I think I could do that. And then, you know, going back and forth. But um, we have some really talented um, animators and storyboard um, artists and um, just... I think some really uh, intuitive, uh, uh, gosh, creative people who um, either know the world or the characters. We have a lot of people who work at Star Stable who actually have been playing the game for a long time. Um, We hire a lot of our interns who, before they were interns, and before they were students locally were players. Um, and so they know these characters. And um, so uh, they are very talented at bringing to life through the cameras and the, uh, the all of that magic um, that I don't really understand how they can take what I describe in my brain and they make it happen. And it usually is a process of looking at things together uh, on a continual basis. And um, our designers are really um, talented with that as well, I think. Um, But then there's also that issue of tech debt, you know, that everybody has heard about and we cry about a lot. So um, I think they do their best to make the magic come alive. But I, I, I look forward to someday having the experience of working with the sort of magic that you have at your fingertips. I think it's really uh, cool to, to use people in that way, like all the see all the skills you have around you and let people focus on what they do best. I know for me, my main thing is I, I really enjoy the casting process and just voices and timing. And my main thing is in cutscenes that I, I struggle with when hearing, uh, like my pet peeve is bad timing between in the dialogue when people don't speak at the same time. There's always a little break. I, I love Kingdom Hearts, but I, I, I have a hard time <laughs> listening to that game, for example. Such long breaks. Maybe a translation thing. Uh, way, <laughs> but I, um, but I really, that's like my, my main thing is always when we work with the more animated uh, storyboards, I'm the person who really sits and, and, and wants to, to wiggle the 0.2 seconds here and there because that really does a lot for me. Just feel, the feeling that it's a natural conversation where people break into dialogue in the middle of a conversation and don't have that A, B, A, B uh, robotic interaction. Uh, that, of course, you're more stuck with if it's only writing and don't have voice acting. And I'm so glad that there are other people with other specialties that can, like, fill in the blanks with the cameras, for example, where I'm a total noob. <laughs> <laughs> right. How, what was your experience on Star Wars? Can you talk about that? Or uh, So I didn't work that much on Star Wars, and also okay. mainly on the multiplayer piece of the platform. So mm-hmm. uh, and, and even... If I could say more about it, I probably couldn't do the NDAs. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. No, I thought um, it was maybe it's the other one. The other stuff. No, no, no. Uh, no, sure. No, no. It was the dice one. Um, so it, it's, uh, 
uh, all in that the process in terms of getting approvals and stuff was sort of convoluted and also long-winded with many weeks in between sending something and getting it back and getting getting approval stuff. Um, I've done a lot of cinematics uh, throughout my years, ever um, since my first game, and and I've always relied on talented cinematic directors to to realize those. Uh, and also, I've, I've been getting more visual in in my sort of expression in my latter years. But it started out it was pure text for me, writing scripts and then relying on somebody else to to, to sort of find the visuals for those scripts. Um, but I, when I discovered comic book writing, I think that's when I started pushing more into actually trying to think more in angles and framing and all that kind of stuff. And then again, I mean, as I've been taught, you know, a, a real a good film script does not specify angles. You leave that to directors. So, yeah. um, and when you're, if you're lucky, the director will have a better idea than whatever you could come up with anyway. So I think that's been my pleasure throughout that I've been working with people who've always brought more to the thing than I could have imagined myself. So for every step, like going from script to storyboard, already there, something happens. And then, the storyboard to the cinematics director who would be also maybe directing the actress on set. He would do interpretations or find things that I couldn't see or even think about when I wrote it. And then, of course, like you were saying, I love doing the casting and all that stuff because the, a good actor will also bring something to it that's yes, unexpected. So, me. so I, I, trust, trusting your collaborators, basically. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Trust, and f- finding the right ones that you can trust, right? Because yeah, not exactly. all people work like that. And I, I love people that work independently and that bring something of themselves to the table. And, I think uh, that's I, the most imp- I, uh, like amazing part. Sorry, with with the no, no, sure. development yeah. as well. When when you release something to another person and get it back, you're like, whoa. Yes. Was exactly. it this good? It wasn't this good exactly when I gave that. it to you, <laughs> and then it comes back. Trust, so, yeah. yeah, it's trust, delegate, and collaborate. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's yep. that's yeah. really the magic formula. I think. That's Absolutely. Cool. And, uh, and I, I've also worked with people where that was turned out not to be possible. I, I would give them something, I get it back. Oh yeah, you know exactly what I remember. I sent out is actually what I got back, and and then that can be okay. But you know, then we don't get that that magic happening in the same way. So yeah, yeah. yeah. It's also much. I notice that people are are used to different things. Sometimes I give yes. give someone a script, say, "Hey, do do whatever you want with it. I trust you to do it." And that that makes can also make people nervous. Uh, yes. And like <laughs> some people really need those like clear directions. I try to adjust to that uh, as well but also I know that the times that I've grown uh, most as a uh, writer etc has been when I have been given some creative freedom uh, but it's also it's always tricky to have to as you say start trusting people and build a relationship I think that's usually where uh, where you can find the sweet spot for working together yeah yeah I look oh go on sorry oh, for you yeah no I yeah and I love it as, as I, I've been in the career for a number of while and i have some some go-to people i always try to get on board on my projects and it, it's not because i'm biased it's because we speak the same creative language right yeah and when you do that you just have that shorthand and if you've worked on numerous projects you don't have to do all the sort of formalities of like oh i don't want to you know step on your creative toes you know each other well you speak the same creative language and then you can just kind of plow into it and you can just kind of yeah. get your gloves off and kind of you know for bad metaphor but slug it out in terms creatively <laughs> in terms of like like what gives and what uh i i, I work with the uh, well, which is a storyboard card that I've worked on multiple projects. I've worked on them on Rise and on Hitman and on Avatar. And and it's just, I, I love that feeling that when I send him something, he always challenges me, right? And he goes, well, couldn't we do this? And I don't agree always, but, you know, 
a lot of times he'll come back with a better idea than I had in the beginning, yeah. right? And I'll always say, that's great. Thank you, Klaus. You just make me look better. So, you know, <laughs> you I'll take it. And he loves it because it also, you know, it gives him satisfaction to be able to to contribute, uh, you know, much more. And, and um, yeah, hats off. Shout out to Klaus. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, from my perspective, so, so I think that I prefer often rather than finding the person who can do specifically this thing that we need to do for this project or has specifically this tone, I'd rather choose someone that I work really well with because I yeah. think in the end that usually gives the best result, uh, even if it doesn't sound like it. On, but that's something else yeah. I have to like, try to, I try to push a lot that people that I can collaborate with and yeah. that has a good flow, I have a good flow with and that can challenge yeah. uh, and give critique in a good way, that's so valuable and it, it produces much better stuff than just having two people who are the aces of writing action yeah, or whatever yeah. it is. That, that's also a lesson I've learned the hard way. Like, don't always go for the rock stars. I mean, go for the no. people you really share a creative vision with. Don't don't go, yeah. well, he's the hot or she's the hottest and yeah. they're the best and, you know, they've done so yeah. and so and so. No, that's not necessarily that they'll be able to do that with you. They've done that, but that yeah. might not work in your collaboration. So if you find the people with the same creative language you know, hold on to them for dear life. Yeah. It throws me back to, um, to university. Like the point there you mentioned, like keep people close. I'll give a, a shout out because there's a trend in this <laughs> podcast there. Uh, Bobby Joe, if you're listening, <laughs> um, like all the, all the projects, I'll be like, okay, I need you on this project as a, a producer. Um, but then again, like your point there, Chris found, uh, you know, the right actor will bring something new that no one thought of. I remember there was one project we were working on with minimal dialogue and we were filming it over a few days. And then this final day came and we were like, we've got a monologue. We've not quite worked out. It's very janky in the script. And they just went after about four days of filming, like, give me five minutes. They walked into a room, wrote out the whole monologue again. It's like, okay, just, just start rolling. I'll go with it. <laughs> And it was like the, the best thing that we could have uh, hoped for in that day. And I was like, okay, amazing. You, you kind of embodied the role and brought something new to, to great, the great, project. Great actors are like manna from heaven. I mean, if you, oh, yes. do, if yeah. you do good casting, they will blow you away. They, they will yeah, just they keep giving. It's you don't amazing. have to it's, direct them. You just give them the script. Yeah, well, that is yeah. the directing. is like the 80% is in the casting, right? If you cast <laughs> the right, yeah. and uh, then yeah. they will come in and they'll just shine and you'll think yes. you're a genius because you picked the right people. Yeah. But, <laughs> <laughs> and your material sounds amazing. So. Yeah, and all of a sudden you're like, yeah. wow, that is so good. <laughs> Who wrote that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is there uh, any additional points anyone wants to make around, you know, uh, the importance of narrative from a director's standpoint? Any final points there at all no all right so well i appreciate all your thoughts there and uh last but not least i feel like this is a good uh discussion point to end things on a little alexandra do you mind uh, giving us your uh discussion question yeah for sure uh yes yeah, so the question i prepared is basically like how how good is good enough and uh, right now i'm working on the finishing touches maybe not, we'll see, uh, of this book, of my book, Manuscript, together with my editor. And uh, that one, ha it's been, I wrote the first version 10 years ago uh, in writing, writing school at university. And then um, it started out as a five point of view, almost like, uh, like a fantasy style, but uh, without the fantasy, uh, changing point of view all the time and then it was cut down to three then it was cut down to two and now it's cut down to the one single character as i mentioned before and this is in this case it's been i haven't obviously worked on this actively for 10 years it's been very on and off but in the case of this book that has been a good thing for it, it needed that it, i needed that growth as a writer um 
But in game development, of course, you never have that time to see like, oh, maybe I'll be done in a month. Maybe I'll be done in 10 years. Who cares? Uh, because you have a team and you have to relate to them. And I think that one of the things I've been struggling with a lot and try to learn on the job is like to know when to release uh, a script and pass it on to the next stage. Because when you do, there's no takes it back uh, usually, unless you want to throw some money into it and, and redirect, uh, re, uh, re-record it and everything. So I just wonder what you have, if you have any kind of processes for that or how you do you just go on the, the feel of it? Do you let, do the other people around you who help you decide like when when do you know that yeah this is done because i could I, edit forever <laughs> I, I i think good good enough is when they rip it out of your hands your cold, <laughs> try it out of your dead cold hands <laughs> i mean and what i mean by that is like i've, I've handed in several projects and, and the, the only thing i always look about look at are the mistakes i i are the things i didn't get to yeah. do the way i so so I think, and I think that's you know, speaking of, of death by a thousand cuts, right? I think that's very normal for artists or people. Is that you, that the ninety five percent you you prevailed on or you did great at are not the ninety five percent you remember. You remember the five percent where you could have done better, and that will gnaw at your your soul slowly eat away at it. But but so so yeah, I mean, I I I think for me it's just like when when time is out, then I just mm-hmm. have trained myself to let it go. It's almost yeah. like if if you have children and and when they grow up and they you know start leaving uh, I'm, I'm fortunate enough to have sons that are old enough that they've left the house and 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 when they do there's you just kind of have to trust that that the world will they will find their way in the world and the world will take care of them and and that it will somehow magically work out work out because you know you 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 yeah you can't do anything else you just have to let go <laughs> there's there's um one thing that's really helped, uh, my husband has been in this industry for 20 years. Um, and, uh, he implores, uh, me and others to reframe that good enough to perfectly good. Um, because otherwise you'll just never be happy. So, uh, and, for me, we have, you know, frequent deadlines um, for these releases. But um, a lot of times, if I sit with stuff for too long, I'm impacting someone else. Um, so it's just not, you know, a, a feasible or, you know, realistic or, or very nice thing to do. So, um Yeah. I think that, that that's the thing is that I, I look at it as this is perfectly good material. I've done everything I can. Uh, you know, I've looked at it, uh, a lot. I've had someone else look at it. You know, we've gone through it. Um, I need to, to stop, stop playing with it and just stop. Yeah. This is the magical words, right? Like just mm-hmm. basically it as. I, I've tried to phrase this as good enough is, instead of uh, instead of done or perfect. Mm-hmm. But I think yeah. perfectly fine has much a much more positive vibe. Yeah, good exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I'm gonna borrow that for sure. And, and, <laughs> yeah. In film, they say a lot. Good enough to ship. Uh, you know, that's 
Mm-hmm. That's a little depressing, it's but yeah. it's shippable. Yeah, it's shippable. It's, it's perfectly good. Yeah, perfectly good. Yeah, perfectly good. Yeah. That's really good. I think my, my partner, who's a game designer, mentioned to me at some point, I think that's when I started to think about good enough, uh, that they had been to this talk uh, where they talked about that the most important thing in game development is knowing when something is good enough and be able to stop. Yeah. Uh, and especially with writing, I feel like after a while things just start to to melt in front of my eyes. I don't understand the text anymore and I'm probably yeah. just making yeah. it worse. Um, so having that good phrasing actually I think uh, is... is uh, uh, It's a good one. We'll, we'll all take that in our personal uh, notebook. Yeah. And Perfect, yeah. <laughs> Write it down right away. Yeah. <laughs> Shout out to Mark Bullock. <laughs> so it's a case of uh, like uh, just obviously to keep the conversation a little bit with you know when's good enough uh, good enough or uh, perfectly fine or you know the uh, the more positive uh, opinions on things is there any uh, you know particular way that you go about that is you know is the like set uh, beats in the process we're like do i review this is this perfectly fine is this perfectly good uh or is it just a case of like it hits you like a you know a light bulb it's like this is it this is where i'm at that threshold yet does that ever happen to anyone here like you get to us for threshold i i have experienced that you know things click for me if i write a scene or whatever uh sometimes it's just okay this is it it's done it's there i'm done whether it's good or not, I couldn't tell for sure, but it's good enough for me. Like it clicks for me. And then I send it out and, and, uh, hopefully it comes back in a good way. Um, but, um, but I've also, when, whenever I struggle with something, then the deadline is, is everything. I, you know, I rely on the deadline because by the deadline, it needs to be done. And yeah, whether I solved it or not, I need to send something. And, and I think that also sort of helps me accept that. Okay. This is perfectly good. Uh, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll pass this on. Um, with that said, I mean, I've, I've ideally, I, over the years, I've learned that ideally, I, I you know, I get something done, a draft. Uh, it, if I can, it, it'll allow it to give it, you know, a little bit of rest for a couple of days, yeah. ideally, and then look at it. Uh, there's usually a lot of things that I can improve on. Um, but then after that second rewrite, I think that that's then I'm mostly there. Like there could be those last ten percent, but again, over the years, uh, those ten percent don't matter that much usually. In my experience. Except sometimes, but you know, still. So I, I, that, that's been my, I think, finding. But with that said, though, I mean, I've had many projects where those days of rest are not possible. You know, I, I write something, I send it off, and it's recorded a day after or whatever. And then, so I guess I, I subconsciously, did, sorry, subconsciously developed a way to, to get something out there that's acceptable, uh, even, even on a first draft level, almost. Now, at least like an acceptable for me, I'd leave it to the critics to say whether it's acceptable or not. <laughs> Externally, yeah, having having have, having the objects and obstacle clear, right, and then adding the poetry yes. if you can sleep on it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, but that's a good point. Yeah. Exactly, getting, getting the the gist out there, and then you know yeah. the, the flourish can be added later yeah. if possible. Yeah, I think that's really important what to say with the with the breaks, and I've been trying to uh, be very clear about that uh, to to my team as well. Like often for a while, me and my uh, my game director had very. Uh, tightly scheduled meetings, checking in on specific scenes that we were working on. Uh, And uh, I realized after a while that it it didn't do me any good because it was too, like, I haven't done any new reveals uh, since yesterday. I need to to back away and then read the text again. Uh, Then I can see it from an outside perspective. But as soon as I'm, if I dug such a big hole into the scene, I won't be able to 
to understand it at all. So I, I definitely need that break, and I've been trying to like incorporate that into my routine more uh, than I did before. Going in, but uh, swapping out the scenes I'm working on, taking them one by one, and then go back. So I agree on that yeah, for sure. I think in terms of like take. Oh, sorry, I was going to say uh, if I could just jump in there <laughs> around it, like taking like small breaks or like uh, taking yourself back um, whenever I'm working on like short film projects and I'm editing and I'm trying to get something to just quite work right and going back to your point Alexander about you know just a, even a fraction of a second in the dialogue can make all the difference um, I'll sometimes put like a just like a cap on it so like I'm going to spend 15 minutes and 15 minutes no more uh, on this small bit and then take myself away for at least an hour or two or maybe even the next day and come back to right where I was uh, just for fresh eyes because I'm like Oh my god! I did it it's right at the start. It was perfectly good. <laughs> you know, I could have left it there, but uh, just by not leaving it alone, uh, you know, kind of viewed it in a different light. Uh, but sorry, I'll hand it back over to you, Chris. No, I think I was going to say also that it's also a question. I think sometimes the pressure is good, uh, and the lack of time is good because I, I yeah. find sometimes that I, you know, I sit with a story problem, and I have a lot of time, but nothing comes, and then you know, there's no time, and suddenly I have to, I have to pick something. I have to choose something. And doing something is usually better than nothing. And so yeah. uh, I find that sometimes the pressure and, and the limit, uh, time limit helps with, with finding the ideas needed, or at least picking an idea and then making that one as good as possible. It might be the best yeah. one, but the best one might never have come anyway. So I think that's yeah. also accepting even, that as part of it. Even picking it if it's the wrong one, because at least it puts you in a yes. different place and gives you a new vantage point on, on your, yes. your problem, right? And that might lead you to to the right idea. So yeah, time, true, yeah. time, yeah, time pressure can definitely be a help, also. But but uh, yeah, it's if you have the luxury, it's always fantastic to be able to sleep on something. But yes. but very rarely does that happen anymore. <laughs> I have to say, <laughs> I think it's my uh, something that definitely have picked up during the years is the need to just not be scared of writing something bad it's just gonna yeah, happen yes. better get it get it over with uh have this i read this <laughs> metaphor once that i stuck to which is that when i write the first draft i put on the the genius hat which means that everything i just have to believe that everything i write is pure gold and amazing uh oh. and that, that just keep that hat on until the first draft is done, and then you can take on the creative cat and just see like yeah. which parts actually work and which are just stupid. Uh, but that's not allowed until the first draft is done. And I think oh. that's kind of makes me this is, gives a silly vibe that makes me relax a little bit to just like no, it's amazing. All this. That, that's a great approach. I, I do something it a little is. bit different. I I always say the first treatment I can't go back and change anything. Even if I get new ideas, I have to write from start to finish. And then when I get to the finish, I can go back and like and change stuff. But because that forces you to get to the end of the story, right? Yes. Even yeah. if it sucks and it doesn't make any sense, you at least you got to the end, and then you can go back and start. But if you keep kind of like rewriting the first five pages, you're never going to get anywhere. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, that's my trick. But it seems like it's the same same kind of approach, yeah, but from two, two different angles. Style. Yeah, yeah. I, I was laughing because I, I I do the same thing but opposite. You could say I, I, I adhere to the the uh, Hemingway axiom of the first draft of anything is shit. So yeah. But Alexander, I will. I I like your approach better. It's it's uh, it's not the positive <laughs> <isolated again>. material. <laughs> I, I should look into doing it that way instead. I think. Yeah. Well, not the positive spin on things today. Yeah, yeah, so, it, it, yeah. It's, it's not good enough. It's perfectly good. Yeah, it's perfectly good. And stop the self-flagellation, right? That's <laughs> it's perfectly good, and I'm a genius. <laughs> <laughs> 
absolutely. Uh, but is there any final points anyone wants to make there about any previous points or discussion points we've uh, we talked about today at all? Anything else? No. I feel like that's a, a perfectly good way uh, to end the podcast. <laughs> Excuse the pun. Yeah. Uh, but if you'd like to join an upcoming podcast, um, potentially around uh, storytelling and gaming or another topic, then uh, reach out to me on LinkedIn or by my very long email. I should change it. Uh, Adam.Miller-Betridge at evolution-nordics.com. See you next time. <laughs>